0: Hi everyone! I just want to give you a trigger and content warning. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about pregnancy loss and miscarriage, and I'm also going to be talking about my cesarean c-section birth in pretty graphic, a little bit of graphic detail. So if any of that stuff might be a little bit of a trigger for you or might be hard for you to listen to, you can just skip this episode. I will give you another warning when I'm about to talk about my C-section when I'm going to get a little bit graphic. So you also have the option to just listen up until that point and then skip ahead if you need to. Take care of yourselves. I love you. Welcome to the Unbranded Podcast with Miss Dean Loves You. I'm your host, Susie Dean. I don't know if I usually say my last name. I did not listen to my last podcast to try to maintain consistency, but you get the idea. This is actually my second time recording. And let me be completely honest with you. I've done with two episodes so far, and I like to stream of consciousness journal before them on whatever topic I'm talking about. So if you're not familiar, stream of consciousness journaling, hopefully I can give it the justice that it deserves, is when you put your pen to paper, you start usually out with some kind of prompt, and you just write and write and write, and you don't stop until you essentially feel empty. Let's say your prompt is, I feel safe when... So you start writing, I feel safe when, and you could have no idea where you are going with that and just write, I feel safe when, I don't know why I'm writing this journal entry. I think that this prompt is stupid and I don't know what stream of consciousness journaling is anyway, since I have to keep writing, I'll just write about my day. So today I was feeling this. And the idea is that if you keep writing in that way until you feel like essentially empty, and you don't lift your pen off the paper eventually you get through all of the mental stuff that's in the way of self-discovery and <laughs> sounds so, like esoteric So what I do is every week, I stream of consciousness journal on whatever topic I want to talk about. And I just write and write and write all of my thoughts that have to do with it. And I don't stop. And what you find at the end is a whole bunch of golden nuggets of wisdom. Things that I make sure that I want to get across, that I want to say, that I want to process. And it also gives me an outline for my podcast. Well, let me tell you, I didn't do that today. And it shows. I spent 75 minutes on the last podcast. Recording And there were so many times that I forgot things, had to go back and backtrack, had to add things in at the end that I think that editing would have been a fucking nightmare. <laughs> so I'm doing this again. I'm trying to be as efficient as possible because I'm talking about my pregnancy loss and my birth and my birth story and I started stream of consciousness journaling on it but it's just kind of been a hectic day Robbie's in Orlando for a wedding I'm alone with the baby taking care of him and I have just kind of lost the day to normal errands and taking care of myself and the baby I didn't have the time that I wanted so I was like Susie you know your birth story girl you went through it you don't need to write it out. And it showed that I didn't write it out. So here we are, take two. Today I want to talk about my pregnancy loss, my pregnancy, and then my birth. Because one, I had a four-day labor and I tried for a home birth. A lot of people have been curious about all of that. And from the beginning of the end to my birth, I really experienced all types of birth. I did, well, I not all types of birth, but all types of laboring. I did three days at home, unmedicated, home birth, holistic type labor, labor for 24 hours on epidural, and then I ended up having a C-section. So I want to talk about that and a lot of my experiences with that, which are all pretty much mostly positive. I do want to say now that I may have gone through four days of labor and not what I envisioned for my labor and birth at all, but I still do have a very positive view of my own birth experience, birth in general. I'm not scarred. I'm not scared of birth. I'm not scared of labor in the future. So while my story seems to the average person terrifying and awful and like a worst nightmare, I assure you it, it was not. So my telling of this story is still going to be mostly positive. And I haven't really talked about my pregnancy loss. I didn't really have the platform that I do now to talk about and share with people what my experience was like with my first pregnancy, which unfortunately ended in a miscarriage. And I think that's so important because we are in a society where for some stupid reason, having a miscarriage is a taboo and people don't want to talk about it. People feel ashamed around it. Women go through miscarriages and feel like it's their fault. And I just wish that more women knew how prevalent miscarriages are and how it's not anyone's fault. And I'm lucky to have grown up with women who were very open about their own experiences with pregnancy loss. But I know that not a lot of people are. So I wanted to share my story in that regard, too. If you're interested, if you care, I am drinking spiked eggnog. It is a recipe by Champagne Ange on TikTok. Um, She provided the recipe. I made the recipe on my own TikTok. So you can go to either or to get the recipe and you can make it and sip along with me. And it can feel like we're having just a chat over some cocktails, which is really ultimately what I want this podcast to feel like. And we're on episode three, Lauren and Michael Bostick told me, what do they say? Launch fast, adjust as necessary. I'll get the hang of this eventually. And I hope you're having fun along the ride too. Let's get down to it. I got pregnant on purpose <laughs> both times very much on purpose down to the zodiac sign these pregnancies were planned and my husband and i had a few loose requirements before we wanted to start trying to get pregnant just a little bit of background i'm an only child My husband is the youngest of five. He has 15 nieces and nephews. On my side of the family, I have zero. I have a very small family. So he's always wanted to have a lot of kids. He always said he wanted enough for a basketball team and three bench warmers. I, on the other hand, uh, weirdly enough, always imagined that I might have one child only after I had my own counseling practice and i wasn't even sure for a lot of my life if i wanted to get married so we come from very different backgrounds i I did know that i wanted to be a mom and i did definitely want to have a child once i met him and my my ideas around that started changing but some of our requirements before we wanted to start trying to have a baby were i wanted to be married for at least a year where it was just us our attention was only on each other we could build a little bit more of that parent marriage relationship foundation together without any distractions we wanted to get rid of our some of our debt and be in a better financial situation i wanted to have a little bit more of an income between both of us and then less debt so that we could provide in the way that we wanted to for our child and I wanted to be off of birth control for six months. I had been on birth control for 12 years, which seems like a lot of the stories I hear, at least from a lot of my girlfriends these days. I was on birth control for 12 years, you know the story, was young, had acne, plopped on birth control, the rest is history. So I wanted to clean my body out of that as much as possible, and I also wanted my cycle to align with the moon I read a book called Do Less by Kate Northrup, and it's all about how we can maximize our efficiency and our lives through aligning our lives with the different phases of our menstrual cycle. And in it, and I'm paraphrasing here, she mentions how our cycles and our fertility can, this is not an end-all be-all guys, don't freak out, can align with the moon in a way that Uh, is more fertile or like more aligned with motherhood so when you are off birth control and if we were to be completely surrounded by natural light our cycles would sync up with the moon where we would be ovulating on the full moon and bleeding on the new moon which makes sense because if you're thinking about our ancestors and progressing the human race of course we would be ovulating on the full moon when The nighttime is at its brightest, and we think of our menstruation as a time when we kind of go inward and we're with ourselves, and that's when the sky is the darkest, is on the new moon. So I wanted to be off of birth control for six months, totally an arbitrary number, and I wanted my cycle to align with the moon, and it did. So here we go. Fast forward. I get off of birth control in January. My husband gets a raise. And we had been married for like a year and a half at this point, almost, no, 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 almost a year when I went off of birth control. Yeah, 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 okay. So we had been married a little over a year when we first started trying, which was actually in May. So it was a little bit earlier than my six month mark, but I was aligned with the moon. It's called, I think it's called the white moon cycle, fact check me on that. It was really wonderful that it happened this way because I wanted to have a little Pisces baby. (laughs) So if I got pregnant in May, which I did, which was our first month trying, I would have had a baby. Um, My first actual due date was February 22nd, a little Pisces baby. And I... I actually just, I also want to say I I was very lucky and I'm very blessed to have gotten pregnant very easily both times. I don't take that for granted and I want to um, make sure that I acknowledge that, especially if anyone's listening that has had struggles with getting pregnant in the past or, or currently. We try for the first time in May and this was very, I mean, I wouldn't say we tried, because it was just so purposeful. I had been tracking my cycle for years. I had been watching and monitoring my cycle very closely for five months at this point. I had been doing ovulation test strips, uh, for like the two months leading up to this. So I knew when I was ovulating, I was like maximizing my time. I was, I was not pulling the goalie. I wouldn't, and again, I wouldn't say that I was you know, just seeing how it went. I was, I was going to have a baby. (laughs) I was very competitive with myself. So May rolls around, fertility rolls around. We did the damn thing. You know how it goes. And I get pregnant just to get rid of the nitty gritty details. That's what matters. I found out at school, I went to the dollar store to get some pregnancy tests during my lunch or my planning period or something came back and took them and they were positive. And it was really funny because it was one of those very cheap, obviously dollar store tests where you had to pee in a cup and then take a dropper of your urine and put it in the window in this pregnancy test. So it was quite the sight because I had to pee in a cleaned out Starbucks cup in the school bathroom and walk across the hallway to my classroom with my pee cup. It was just, luckily the bathroom was not far away from my classroom. But regardless, I I got a positive pregnancy test, and I was so excited. I mean, obviously, I tried to have a baby, and then I was pregnant, and it was exactly what I wanted. I sent a picture of the test to a few of my work friends who had been pregnant just to confirm that I wasn't crazy, because it was still pretty light. I think I was only two days after my period, uh, I had been having some breast pain and some back pain. So I did have an inkling that I was pregnant. And it was incredible. As you would imagine, I called my gynecologist. They had me into the office the next day to do blood work to confirm the pregnancy. And then we monitored my blood work and my HCG, I think it is, was Doubling appropriately as it should have been everything was was looking good and You know me and my husband were really excited I told my parents I told a couple of my friends just because it worked out that way my one best friend colleen was Moving to north carolina the day after I found out I was pregnant So I told her the day that I found out and I saw my friends francesca and audrey who I don't see very often my grandpa happened to be in town. So I I told a couple of people, which, you know, some people say is too early, but it just happened. It just worked out that way. And I remember being at stoplights or cutting up watermelon in my kitchen and just starting to cry, thinking about how incredible it was that my body was making a human without me having to think about it. Like I said earlier, I've always been surrounded by women who were open about their own experiences with pregnancy loss and miscarriage. So I personally knew how prevalent it was. I knew that if it were to happen to me, there would be, there, there should be no shame around it. It wouldn't have anything to do with what I did or didn't do. And I think that I'm really blessed for that. And even, even, but that being said, even though I had that knowledge and those relationships, I, that's still not going to prepare you for the reality of pregnancy loss. So I knew it was a very real possibility, but I, I was trying to just enjoy it. We went to our first ultrasound at seven weeks. And you know, we saw something in there. I think we saw, um, we, I was pregnant. There was something in there. There wasn't a heartbeat, but I was measuring five days behind what I expected. So the ultrasound technician was not concerned about the size or the fact that we couldn't see a heartbeat because everyone ovulates at different times and has different timed cycles. And this was my dating scan. So this was going to be the I guess real quote unquote real answer to when I did get pregnant but when I left that appointment that day while I tried to be positive and while the ultrasound tech didn't seem concerned I felt a red flag because I had been tracking my cycle so religiously for so long and I had been tracking my ovulation I knew the day that I got pregnant and I knew that baby should have been measuring bigger but I tried to stay positive and there, and remind myself that there's nothing to be concerned about until there's something to be concerned about. So after that, we kept talking about a baby, thinking of names. And I mean, we had already had names planned, let's be honest. Um, imagining what our lives would be like constantly saying, oh my God, I can't believe I'm pregnant. I can't believe there's a baby in here. I can't believe I'm not alone. I can't believe that we're going to be parents. Just all of the beautiful, wonderful stuff that comes with being pregnant for the first time. And that's something that I, I miss because being pregnant for the first time is purely magical. And at least for me, being pregnant the second time after having a loss is just it's not that it's just filled with fear and anxiety but we'll get there a couple days go by after the first ultrasound and i am in the bathroom and i wipe and i i'm spotting i have a very 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 light pink residue on the toilet paper and immediately i start bawling my eyes out, terrified that this is the beginning of the end. I called my mom. I'm crying in my husband's arms. I'm crying in the bathtub. And my mom comes over and, you know, she's reassuring me as a mother would, because when she was pregnant with me, she bled through like her entire first half of the pregnancy. And look at me, I'm fine and thriving. So it really, it really didn't mean anything at the time as a standalone it was and it was incredibly light so they talked me down i calmed down i hyped myself up i went to sleep the next few days go by nothing happens. so we're thinking okay maybe it's okay we really need to wait until the next ultrasound and then and then another time I wipe and it's a little bit redder and I try not to think much of it I go to DC to visit my friend Audrey and near the tail end of my trip with her I'm wiping two to three times a day and getting and getting blood so I don't have any cramping yet it's nothing heavy But at this point, I am starting to get worried. And I also hadn't started experiencing yet any of the more traditional pregnancy symptoms. I wasn't feeling nauseous. I wasn't having food aversions. I wasn't extremely tired necessarily. I started bracing myself for an ultrasound, or I started bracing myself for a miscarriage. One of the things that I I didn't like about being with a traditional gynecology practice, I understand why they had to do this, but when I called and said, I've been spotting, I've been bleeding, the blood is getting redder, it's bright red, when I wipe, they still wouldn't take me in to check my blood work or to take an ultrasound unless I was soaking a period pad, which is a significant amount of blood. And I wasn't close to that at all, but I knew that something was wrong and I didn't want to just wait around panicking until it got to the point where it was too late. I just, I just wanted to know they wouldn't take me. So instead I found a private ultrasound practice and made my own appointment for us to pay for out of pocket. And I believe that was July 13th. I Made the appointment as early in the morning as I could because I just needed to know. And I was keeping my friends in the loop. I was keeping my parents in the loop. I went into the ultrasound. I was very nervous. And she turned on the ultrasound machine, put the thing on my belly, and I saw that the pregnancy hadn't grown. The baby hadn't grown. It looked the same size. There was no heartbeat. And at that point I should have been nine weeks pregnant. And so we were pretty confident that this pregnancy was not progressing. And I felt so bad that she had to be the one to tell me that I was probably miscarrying, but she wasn't my primary doctor. So she didn't say that, but I felt so bad. So I was trying to be really positive. (laughs) Like, it's totally okay. I'm pretty sure that I'm miscarrying. You know, you're not giving me news that I didn't know about already. I just, I want to make sure that you're confident. And she felt really confident. And I, despite all of my efforts, she still felt really, really bad. And she ended up giving me a fat ass discount. (laughs) I got the bill. I think it was supposed to be $600. And there was a $500 discount on it. (laughs) So poor thing. That was very kind of her. Anyway, I'm told that I, uh, there's no heartbeat and we don't think the pregnancy is progressing. I text my mom. I cry a little bit, but you know, I'm still processing and just figuring it out. I text my best friend, Colleen, that there's no heartbeat. I went to Publix. I got sushi and a bottle of red wine on my way home. I stopped at Starbucks and I got a fat coffee with some extra shots of espresso. And I'm leaving Starbucks and I'm in the uh, parking lot when my best friend Colleen calls me. And I think that she's calling me about the news that I just gave her and wants to talk with me through it and hold my hand through it and support me through it. But when I answer, she's crying. And I said, oh my gosh, what's, what's wrong? And she says, my dad had a heart attack and he didn't make it through tears and that was obviously incredibly devastating it was unexpected he was incredibly young it was out of nowhere and I didn't know as a friend what to say or what to do or I was just kind of at a loss and um, so immediately, obviously, my focus shifts from my miscarriage to my best friend that's going through this terrible, life-changing, unfair moment. And I mean, I... I was pregnant and I was excited, but I never saw a baby. I never saw a heartbeat. I never felt a connection with a baby. I never felt physically pregnant. So immediately I was like, yeah, I had a miscarriage, but this is so much bigger. And yeah, I had a miscarriage, but it was so early. So I started kind of like explaining away and making excuses to not now that I see, now I see it as not process the miscarriage. And that was just the beginning. I go home and I'm obviously crying and incredibly shaken up and confused and completely concerned with Colleen, not even thinking about myself. And through the next few days, I'm solely focused on her my miscarriage does not seem like a big deal at all. yeah, I didn't I didn't really face it. My OB had me schedule a ultrasound with a, another private practice locally just to confirm that I was miscarrying. And they had me schedule my DNC at the hospital. So I scheduled the DNC. I did all of my, pre-operation stuff i went in i registered did my blood work did my covid test i went to do the ultrasound to confirm the miscarriage and i felt so bad for the ultrasound tech again and so i just said listen i'm 99 percent sure that i'm miscarrying so i don't want you to worry about giving me bad news why don't we use this as an opportunity for you to educate me about my lady organs so she told me all about my uterus and my fallopian tubes and just everything that was going on in there she sent those pictures of the ultrasound to my ob and i'm getting ready for my operation it's a friday my operation's on monday and the funeral for colleen's dad is over the weekend if i'm remembering correctly On Friday evening, evening, it was like 4.45 on a Friday or 5, my OB's office calls me and says, I'm so sorry to pull the rug out from under you, but your pregnancy is progressing. Your baby has grown since the last ultrasound. This could be a viable pregnancy. We are canceling your DNC, which that ironically, was just not the news that I wanted to hear because I just didn't want to be on this emotional roller coaster. I wanted to either know that I was pregnant and have a baby or know that I was miscarrying so I could start working on getting through it, which I know now I was not either way. I didn't want to be yanked back and forth and in this perpetual waiting game. And I didn't I I was just nervous because if this pregnancy was progressing, then I had all these other questions, like why did it not grow as much as it, it should have in this amount of time? Why am I spotting? Is there a health issue that I need to be concerned about that is the reason why it's so small? So now I'm just like so screwed up. I have no idea how to move forward and how to process this. I put down my beer that I was drinking. I'm like, well, I'm guessing I'm not drinking that for the rest of the night. And I go out and get pizza with my husband. I'm just trying to wrap my head around this emotional roller coaster. The next day, I... and Oh, and they wanted me to schedule a ultrasound with them two weeks later to see what was going on. Or maybe it was a week later. I drive down the next morning to the Keys for the funeral and I'm bleeding like a lot we have to stop a lot I'm pretty confident that I'm going to be miscarrying and so I don't really have my hopes up but the thought still is just like lingering around and I believe on that Monday when we had come back is when I really really started miscarrying like I was really miscarrying and I was in a lot of discomfort and there was some pretty intense cramping and I I definitely had to stop what I was doing to breathe through it. So I was grateful. I was grateful that I didn't have to have the DNC. I was grateful that I was able to pass everything at home, which the ultrasound said I did. And I was extra grateful for that because I thought that I was going to want to start trying again immediately. And per the recommendation of my doctor, if I had a DNC, they wanted me to wait at least two or three periods. And I I thought that I would want to start trying immediately. But as time went on, I didn't want to start trying immediately. At first, I just wanted to give my body a break. Let's just get through one cycle and not do anything. And after that month went by, I started to develop feelings that I hadn't anticipated. And that's the thing about miscarriages is You never know what emotions you're going to go through, but they're going to be so complex and confusing. And what I found was I was just very angry and resentful of it all. I didn't feel uh, guilty or shameful. I didn't think that it was my fault, but for some reason, I just felt angry. The thought of trying to have a baby just made me frustrated. When people mentioned us having a baby, I just shut it down immediately. I, I disconnected. I ended the conversation. I every, yeah, every, I just got frustrated. I I don't know why, but the thought of trying again just made me feel so icky and detached. I immediately wanted to detach from it. And during this time from like July to November, I was not coping, or I was coping very unhealthily. I was coming home very often and having lots of wine and often finding myself crying on the floor. And to this day, I don't know if I really truly processed it. I was forced to a little bit at the beginning of this pregnancy. It's still something that I think is a little bit of an open wound. I knew that I would be ready to get pregnant again if I could think about having a baby and not having such an intense reaction. And that happened around mid-November. I checked my period app to just like skip around a little bit. And I was going to be ovulate When I was ovulating in December, I did the math again, I'm very planned out. First baby was a Pisces. This one, if I were to get pregnant in December, I was going to have a due date that was on my birthday. And I thought that was just beautiful. The stars are aligning. What an incredible story to miscarry and just it's devastating. And then have my rainbow baby due on my birthday. I couldn't pass up the story. So I got down to it and I got pregnant again you guys know, you guys know the drill. So I get pregnant in December and someone told me when I had been going through my miscarriage that they weren't concerned about me getting pregnant again. They were concerned about how I would feel when I got pregnant again. And I always kept that in mind. So I knew In late December, around Christmas time, I knew that I was pregnant. My boobs were hurting so bad. I remember not being able to hug my dad. I was having bad acne. I was having back pain, and I had a stuffy nose, which I also had my first pregnancy. Sure enough, on the 27th, I woke up early in the morning. I took a pregnancy test, and it was positive. And I did this on purpose. I got pregnant on purpose, and I was immediately terrified. And I knew that this was going to happen. I knew that it was going to be really scary, but I knew that no matter how long I waited, the next pregnancy was going to be terrifying. I immediately texted all of my girlfriends and I told them because I wanted them to know in case it did happen again. I wanted to have a network that I could turn to and rely on As I was going through the first few weeks of pregnancy, I wanted to know that I had people that I could reach out to, to talk about my anxieties and my fears. And that first trimester was really, 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 really rough. First of all, I had to go off of my anxiety meds, which just made being in the classroom so tough because I was already so anxious about this second pregnancy and I was just Also seeing a lot of things in the classroom that I hadn't noticed before, but was kind of being forced to see since I didn't have the barrier of my anxiety meds anymore. I had terrible food aversions. I wasn't throwing up, but I had this perpetual gagginess and nausea that I had to deal with every day. It was not fun and just constantly in class. I can't tell anybody why I'm being such a bitch. I can't tell anybody that I'm like a feeling like I'm about to throw up and I'm just hounding the internet looking at statistics of miscarrying two times in a row or like what my chances are of having a miscarriage every day. Uh, seven weeks and three days chance of having a miscarriage. Like it was helping and hindering my my fears and the worst part about pregnancy after loss is that every miscarriage symptom is also a totally normal pregnancy symptom. You're spotting in early pregnancy, oh no, it could be a miscarriage, but it could also just be your cervix changing and your uterus growing in a very normal part of early pregnancy. Oh, you're your boobs don't hurt and you're not feeling really nauseous. Well, your lack of pregnancy symptoms could mean that you're miscarrying, or you could just be one of the lucky ones (laughs) and not having very bad pregnancy symptoms. So it was, it was quite the mental battle, lots of tears, lots of late nights, lots of sadness and anxiety, but I went to my first ultrasound at about eight weeks and in the back of my head, I was expecting to not have good news. And as soon as the ultrasound tech put the thing on my belly and I saw on the screen that the baby in there was so much bigger than, oh, I can't stop getting emotional at this. was so much bigger than the last time I lost it. I had been holding my breath. And before, (laughs) before she even did anything else or said anything, after I noted how big it was, um, I saw in the middle that there was a little flicker and I knew that it was a heartbeat, which I'd never seen before. And I was just bawling on that table to the point that the ultrasound tech had to like tell me to calm down so that I could... So that she could see inside because my belly was moving so much because I was crying so intensely. And I was still a little bit scared afterward because the thing about pregnancy loss is there's no safe part of pregnancy. You know that just because you make it to 12 or 13 weeks or whatever week, or just because you see a heartbeat, you know that you're not in the clear because you have been exposed to the reality of pregnancy loss and that it can happen any time. There's no safe part of pregnancy. So we had another peace of mind ultrasound a week or two weeks later, he continued to grow. He was growing ahead of what we were expecting, which, you know, happens all the time, but was just really comforting to me because the last pregnancy was growing behind. And I slowly started to feel a little bit better and a little bit better. And I made it to the end of my first trimester and I'm starting to feel a little bit better. I don't think that I was completely at peace until about 16 weeks. And that's when I started to feel him for the very first time, just a little bit. It felt like waves in the lower right part of my belly, which is where he was the whole time. So pregnancy happens. That's a conversation for a different time. That was its own battle. I didn't like pregnancy. I had a totally fine and healthy pregnancy, but I didn't like being pregnant. Plus I have, uh, I'm in eating disorder recovery. So that whole thing was another mental game. We get through pregnancy and I feel my baby and I'm so excited. And I decided that I wanted to have a home and I knew that I wanted to have a home birth for years. And my husband was also really wanted one too. I had just been exposed to and following a lot of people who had home births and were doing more unmedicated births. My friends were doing unmedicated births at home. I had been known to drink a few glasses of wine on the couch and end up spending the night watching home birth videos on YouTube. (laughs) So that was always um, the plan for me. And there was a birthing center Home birth, what is it called? There was a birth house right down the street from where we lived, and I knew that's where I wanted to try to get my care from. And so then I I got pregnant and I switched care from my OBGYN to my midwife, which was just an absolute game changer. I don't know how my pregnancy would have been emotionally for me if I had stayed with my OB because when I was with my OB, it was just very disconnected. I would go in for my appointment. There wasn't like much warmth from the secretaries, obviously, or the girls at the front. I would go into the room. Someone would come in and take my blood pressure and my weight. Someone else would bring me somewhere to get my blood drawn. Then I'd be back in the room and then I would be seeing the OB and I would have seen like four or five people in my whole visit and spent a total of maybe like five to seven minutes with my OB talking about the pregnancy. But with my midwife, it was a small practice and she only takes a small amount of women every month. So from the hour, like the minute that I got there to the whole hour, I was with her. I was greeted by her secretary who was awesome, who I had such a great relationship with who I spoke to so much and just bonded with. And then I would sit down in my midwife's office and she would take my blood pressure and my weight and she would check his heartbeat and she would answer any questions that I had and any time that I had any kind of concern about how I would be as a mother and what birth would be like and how I would connect and if I was ready for this, she just looked at me and listened and gave me advice and reassured me and really went out of her way to not just give my pregnancy care, but to give my heart care, as cheesy as that sounds. And I felt so held throughout the whole pregnancy because I was able to have that relationship with her. And I also really appreciated that I knew the woman who was going to be, at the time it was my plan, who was going to be helping me give birth and was going to be catching my baby and being with me throughout my entire labor. I felt really good knowing that we had such a good relationship that I was so comfortable with her and that she knew who I was deep down. She knew what my concerns were and where my mental state was and where my heart was and what the whole journey was for me and my husband. I just felt so good knowing that that was the person who was going to take care of me, that consistency of care, I think, changes everything. So fast forward through the pregnancy and I go in for my like third ultrasound of the pregnancy, which is just a checkup and totally not necessary, but I wanted to see my baby again. I think I was 33 or 34 weeks. so he was growing perfectly fine, very happy, awake, moving. Everything's great and splendid. I get my little 3D picture. No concerns are brought up. And I went to my next appointment with my midwife and she said, okay, maybe we want to start doing some spinning babies to try to change his position. And I was like, well, what's wrong with his position? He's been head down for like six weeks. And so what it was, was he was head down, but his back was to my right side and then his butt was up under my rib cage, and then his legs were across under my ribcage to my left side. And what happens is when a baby is going through the birth canal, they rotate 180 degrees clockwise to get their shoulder out, which meant that with his positioning in that regard, when he was going through the birth canal, when he rotated that 180 degrees clockwise, he would have come out face up which is not that big of a deal, but it's a lot of back labor and it can sometimes lead to a longer labor, <laughs> four days. So we just wanted to do what we could on the outside to try to put him in a more favorable position. And I had been going to see my chiropractor and I was getting adjusted. So we were doing everything, but my midwife said, we can do everything we can, but we don't know what's going on in there. And we trust our bodies and we trust our babies. And it's possible that he's in this position. And he can change during labor or right before he comes out or he's in this position for a reason that we don't know and it's the safest for him. So we can do what we can, but we need to trust him at the end of the day. Do my spinning babies. I'm upside down. I'm doing hip rotations. I'm, I don't know, doing things on the floor. I'm doing the bouncy ball. I'm doing what I can. And he just, he never moved. So I let it out of my hands. He was due on September 7th, and on September 5th, it was Labor Day, I went into labor. Midnight, I woke up, I went to the bathroom, I felt a little crampy, but I didn't think anything of it. I did have some discharge that was a little bit more colored than usual. I went back to bed, I didn't want to think too much of it, because I know how important sleep is for labor. And I woke up, I couldn't really go back to sleep between 12 and 3 a.m. I just kept getting those cramps and they kept just waking me up from my sleep. It wasn't completely uncomfortable, but it was enough to to nudge me awake. At 3 a.m., I decided to start timing them. I didn't want to wake up my husband yet because I wasn't sure. So I start watching the clock and I'm getting a contraction, a cramp at the time. I didn't know it was a contraction, about every eight to ten minutes so they were coming consistently i woke up my husband i told him today's the day i called my midwife she she had told me beforehand she wanted me to call her as soon as i knew i was in labor so she could arrange child care later in the day even if it was in the middle of the night so i did we continued to sleep and we planned for this day early labor can take a long time early later early labor contractions are very manageable so you can still go throughout your day. The last thing we wanted was to be sitting at home timing contractions driving ourselves crazy. So, we continued to sleep. We probably woke up at 7:30. Obviously, we're pretty excited. It's hard to stay asleep when you know you're going to have a baby. We went to breakfast. We got some snacks for me for labor, snacks for the birth team. We bought some last minute things for the birth. We went to Target, great place to labor, lots of things to look at. We came home. I was, I was laboring. I was, I was having contractions all day. I wouldn't say that I was laboring, but I was, the contractions were picking up a little bit. I I stopped being able to talk through them. I had to start humming or breathing through them. And nighttime comes on the fifth, and I go to sleep. But not too long after that, I wake up to contractions, and uh, this was labor. I'm having contractions; they're pretty intense. I have to have Robbie hold me. I have to have him, and I'm having him time them. It gets to the point where I can no longer lie down on my side; it's just way too uncomfortable. So I start walking around the room for my contractions. I get on my bouncy ball, I'm doing the bouncies for my contractions, and this happens all night. I'm so tired and they're really intense. I'm falling asleep in between contractions. I'm waking up for the next contraction, still in like a dream state, hallucinating, shoving Robbie awake to um time them. And we get to, I think it's called 511, where your contractions are happening every five minutes, lasting for a minute for one hour. The app says go to the hospital. Obviously, we're not going to the hospital, but we are like, this is real labor. Things are happening. Around this time, I think it might be like 2 to 3 a.m., I'm having trouble coping with the contractions. I I start needing, um, wanting to get help. So we decide to call our doula to come over and start maybe helping us with some comfort techniques that we might not know on our own. She ends up at our house around 4.30, I believe, you know, intense contractions. As soon as Robbie tells me that she's in the parking lot of our building, my contractions stop. I stalled out. In retrospect, I I can see that that's what was happening But at the time I didn't realize it, my husband tells her, we think that we're in active labor. She comes in and sees me. My contractions have pretty much stopped and she says, oh, this is not active labor. And I'm sure she was thinking at the time, if they think that this is active labor, they are in for it. She has me do the mile circuit to get my contractions to pick back up again. They do. Uh, she's giving me comfort techniques. She's telling me different positions to lie in. How Robbie can better support me. My midwife comes over around nine just to check me. She's right down the street from where we live, and I'm three centimeters, which is about what I expected. I based on the pain that I was experiencing. So we're laboring all day with my Jula. I'm walking around, I'm eating, Robbie's making me steak and burgers, I'm eating vegetables and fruits and protein, I'm feeling good, I'm hugging my dogs through the contractions, I'm getting in the shower when I need to, and I'm uncomfortable, but what I loved about laboring at home is I was uncomfortable in a comfortable place. I was in my own comfy clothes, listening to my own music, eating when I wanted to with my bed and my blankets and just my comfortable surroundings. I deeply appreciated that. My contractions are going on all day. And this is the part in the last podcast where I started my last recording where I started losing time. So we are thinking of ways that we can try to pick up the labor. Um, now it is September 6th. All day, laboring, we try a couple of things to pick up the labor later in the afternoon, including the mile circuit again. And then I bring up the breast pump. The idea with the breast pump is it releases oxytocin when your nipples are stimulated. That's what releases the milk. So oxy- and, and oxytocin is also what causes contractions. So when you're on the breast pump, the idea during labor is the oxytocin's released, your body starts contracting. You do that for I don't know, 15, I think actually I think I was I don't remember how long I was on it, but I think you do it for an hour. You get off of it, your body's contractions slow down cuz it's not getting that oxytocin release anymore from the breast pump, and then your body naturally starts to pick it back up again cuz that's sort of the rhythm that it was in. That's what we were hoping for. So I get on the breast pump and the contractions begin immediately. I feel the first one coming on. It's intense. It's long. It ends. I'm gripping Robbie. It ends. And before I can take two breaths and tell him how it was, I feel the next one coming on. So now it's real deal. It feels feels like real deal. I know that it's not fake, but it's fake. Robbie's like, baby's coming now. <laughs> I'm getting intense contractions i'm getting very little break some of my contractions are double peaking which means that when the contraction comes it slowly rises to its highest point of pain and discomfort it starts going down but before you get a complete break it starts going back up again into the next contraction so i'm i can't focus i can't talk i can't really get my bearings i'm just gripping robbie We get off the breast pump, and my body does not pick up the contractions again. Damn it. They are rough. But I want to say, laboring at home, or laboring in general, it was rough. It was hard. It was uncomfortable. And also, I was laughing in between them. I was singing in between them. I was was listening to hip-hop music. I was listening to Cardi B and singing along to Cardi B in between them. I was... I was still in a good state of mind. i still felt good. It's a different kind of pain because it's purposeful. And that was all part of my preparation for this home birth was it's all pretty much mental. I did a lot of meditations on this. I did a lot of Preparation for how to feel comfortable with pain in my body. And something else I think that was really important and really beneficial to me was I didn't envision my birth. I know that a lot of women have birth trauma because they envision their birth looking one way and their birth does not look that way and then they're incredibly disappointed. Instead of focusing on how I wanted my birth and labor to look, I focused on my mindset. And what was really important to me was feeling like I didn't give up. I did not want to give up on the home birth. I didn't want to give up because of pain or discomfort. That's where I focused a lot of my mental energy while I was pregnant. So I was going through my contractions. I was doing, I I think I was doing really well with them. I was uncomfortable and I was like moaning, but I wasn't, I wasn't asking for pain meds. I wasn't asking to go to the hospital or anything like that. So here we are second day, September 6th breast pump on nothing happens that night. My midwife says, send everyone home, be alone and sleep through the night. You still have to push a baby out and you, you need to sleep. So she gave me a, tincture and some tea to calm me down and hopefully get some sleep. We sent my parents out. My doula spent the night, but she had already been sleeping. So I mean, that wasn't, she wasn't like quote in our space or anything. It was really just felt like me and Robbie. My midwife leaves, and I'm really excited to finally get some sleep. How foolish of me. I was thinking I was going to go to bed and maybe have some contractions overnight, but be able to work through them and get a break and sleep and get my energy back. And not more than 40 minutes after we went to sleep, the contractions start up again, just like they did on that first night. I can't lay on my side. I'm back on the bouncy ball. I'm hallucinating. I'm falling asleep in between my contractions. I'm shoving Robbie awake to start timing things. And again, that happens all throughout the night. I didn't get any sleep. Time was quite the illusion. I think it's maybe 5 or 6 a.m. All I know is that my midwife came over the night before she left. I was at 5 centimeters. She came over again, and I was 7 centimeters. And she said, look at all of this progress that you made. Overnight, you keep stalling out because people are in your space, which made so much sense because I thrive on being alone. So, of course, having my mom and dad here and my doula and my midwife tech checking on me was getting in my head. Every time it was just me and Robbie, we were great. So, she said, So now it's September 7th, it's my birthday and my due date. So, she says, Spend the whole day alone, don't talk to anybody and labor here and we'll see where we get by the end of the day we made an appointment with my chiropractor to get one last adjustment during labor which actually did kickstart labor again and that evening i'm laboring my midwife comes over to check me again my water breaks i'm eight centimeters things are happening i know i'm skipping a lot but you don't need the gory details and i'm on my bed and my water breaks i'm eight centimeters great. Again, things are happening. I'm going to meet my son tonight. How exciting. I have intense contractions. I start getting pushing contractions. I'm in transition. We're all excited. I'm having a hard time, but I know that I'm going to meet my son soon. It's been three days. And my midwife is giving me the pep talk to start pushing. She says, this is going to be really uncomfortable. You're going to want to run away from it, but you really need to surrender to your body you, your body knows what it's doing. You're going to meet your son soon. Just get your head around that, get into that mental space. So I get into the mental space. I'm, I'm ready to go. I, I, I can do it because I know that the end is near. My midwife, uh, goes in to, check me and she says she's going to just like help stretch me the rest of the way or if I'm I'm not completely dilated but like almost dilated I'm at this point I've I've been paper thin super soft very effaced from the beginning everything's good she goes in to check me and her face kind of drops and she says okay So, and I'm like, what the fuck can happen? What the fuck can she possibly, what is going to come out of her mouth? What on earth could possibly be happening? (laughs) She says, it looks like the way that your water broke, um, pushed you back to five centimeters. I asked her about it a few weeks ago and she said, once your water broke, your baby fell into your cervix in a, in a weird way that made you swell up. And so you were essentially measuring back at five centimeters. Oh my God. I don't even know what to do. I've been in labor for three days. I was just about to push my baby out and now I'm being told I'm back at five centimeters. It was crazy. So I said, okay, I just need to take a breather. I'm still not asking to go to the hospital. I don't even, I, 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 I swear at this point, my baby's not coming out. I know a lot of women say that during labor, this baby's never coming out, but it's been three days. I'm looking them in the eyes and I'm saying to my birth team, this baby is going to calcify in my body and live with me forever. I'm in the bathtub because the warm water just helped me calm down. It, it really, it stopped my contractions. I never would have been able to give birth in the pool, but I just needed a little bit of a break. It's, it really slowed down my contractions so I could take a break. And I was sitting in my tub when my doula and my midwife came in and said, we're not worried about you. We're not worried about the baby. Everyone's safe and healthy. Your heartbeats are awesome. Even during contractions, but you, you haven't slept in three days And you could stay here and we could duke it out for maybe another 12 hours to try to remake that progress. Or you can go to the hospital and get an epidural and take a nap. And them proposing that to me just felt like permission. It felt like if they're telling me that this might be a good idea, then I don't feel like I'm giving up on the home birth. So I said, yep, we're going to the hospital. And you know what? If we're going to the hospital, I'm going to do the whole damn thing at the hospital and I'm going to get drugged the fuck up. (laughs) So the car ride was not fun. Checking in was not fun. I'm like having these, still having pushing contractions in the lobby, trying not to be too loud and disruptive to people. We go upstairs to our room the tech is trying to get, or someone, my, a nurse is trying to get my blood, keeps not getting any. I don't know why I had beautiful, I have beautiful veins. I keep getting bruises. She keeps having to stop because I'm having these contractions. I'm trying not to be too loud again. Everyone thinks we're fucking crazy people. Like home birth is just not generally accepted in hospitals. Even though this one was one of the more open-minded ones, we definitely had to deal with a lot of, uh, side eyes and passive aggressive comments. I did not tell them also, I think it's important, did not tell them I had been in labor for three days. I told them I had been in labor for one. I don't think I would have had a fighting chance at trying to have a vaginal birth. If I told them that I had been in labor for three days, they would have thought I was a psychopath. I'm on the epidural. The guy comes in, I get the epidural. Oh Sweet baby Jesus. I felt nothing. I felt warm tinglies all over my body and I felt completely relaxed. It was incredible. I felt nothing. And once all of my blood work was done and all the check-ins were done, I took the most incredible nap of my life. I only slept for two hours, but it was the best sleep that I had gotten in months. And I was only woken up because someone came in to check my blood pressure. So here we are. We are now on September 8th and we're just chilling in our hospital room. We feel really blessed because one of our nurses was actually the daughter of a home birth midwife. Her mom knew Ina Mae Gaskin. We got on this topic because I was reading Ina Mae's spiritual midwifery book. So we felt like things were really falling into place. I'm on epidural. I'm on Pitocin to get my contractions back up to try to make some more progress. And we're just sitting and waiting and waiting and waiting and one shift of nurses come in and says, this baby is definitely coming by the end of my shift and their shift ends. And then the next shift of nurses comes in and says, this baby is definitely coming at the end of our shift and their shift ends. And I'm just getting more and more discouraged again. I have no idea what's going on. At one point in the late afternoon, I'm actively on Pitocin and my contractions stop essentially, they didn't stop. They were coming like every 20 minutes. It was, nobody knows what's going on. All of the nurses, the midwife they we're just, everyone's just at a loss and I'm okay. The baby's okay. Our heart rates are okay. Even through contractions still, but progress has stopped at eight centimeters. Contractions have stopped. My midwife says, we're not concerned, but just so we can have our plans in place, maybe start having the conversation about a C section. Again, we're not concerned. We still very much want you to have a vaginal birth, but we just want, we, we, It was really great the way she said this because she didn't want us to be like rushed into a C-section at some point. She wanted us to have the conversation so that if that was something that were to happen, it wouldn't feel so overwhelming and daunting and, and scary. So my husband and I were like, we've been at this for four days. I haven't, once I got to the hospital, I wasn't able to eat anymore. I haven't eaten in a day. I haven't still haven't really slept enough my body is no longer contracting i'm no longer dilating and the last time my midwife had checked me i my cervix was swelling on one side so we said my body's having a hard time there's something going on i can't keep doing this so we decided to have the c-section we said that we were going to wait until midnight and if i hadn't made progress past eight centimeters we were going to do it and that's exactly what happened so i meet my surgeon We meet the whole team for the C-section. We get wheeled back. And actually during this, while we're preparing for the C-section, my friend Julia, it was a friend from school and we were pregnant together the whole time. Our due dates were about a week apart. And she texted me during this and said, Hey, I know you've been in labor for three days. And I know you're at the hospital now. I just wanted to tell you I'm in labor too. And I'm on my way to the hospital, which was so cool. Um, We ended up giving birth within 40 minutes of each other. She always had planned for, this was her second birth. She was going to do another unmedicated vaginal birth at the hospital. She was having a hard time coping and actually wanted a epidural, but couldn't get one because the anesthesiologist was in with me at the C-section, which she knew. So I just felt really bad. And she felt really bad about it because she knew I'd been in labor for so long. So it was just a very special story. So we go back to the operating room and things are about to get a little bit, uh, graphic here. So be warned. I have no problem with C-sections or any way that anyone chooses to give birth. My mom had a C-section. I was a C-section baby. I knew all the details. She always shared the story with me. So I knew what happened. However, and it was very important with me also while I was working on my, mindset to not give up and to be very present with everything. So I was very present through this whole process. But what changed was I didn't get a spinal tap. Most women who go into a C section get a spinal tap. They're completely knocked out their bottom half. Since I had been on epidural for so long, they didn't want to give me a spinal tap. They just wanted to give me more epidural. Totally fair what they were supposed to do. But because of that, I felt more than the average person does in a C-section. So I didn't necessarily feel pain, but I felt enough going on down there that I knew while I was laying down, I knew when fat was being pulled from muscle, I knew when muscles were being pulled apart, I knew when people were going into my uterus. So I was I was just, my focus this whole time was on deep breathing, trying not to visualize what was happening trying not to vomit trying not to have an anxiety attack so um i'm just cl- not clinging on to robbie i wish i was clinging onto to robbie my arms were strapped down so i'm staring at robbie trying to stay present, I'm moaning through this. The team is like, why is she moaning? She shouldn't be in any pain, and I wasn't in pain. I was just trying to kind of distract my thoughts with sound so that I didn't freak out. At one point, things started feeling different, and I said, Robbie, something feels different. What's going on? He looked over the curtain, and I'm so glad he didn't tell me this in the moment. He was so cool, calm, and collected. He told me later what happened was the midwife yelled for a step stool and so we have the midwife and the OB who's the surgeon and the anesthesiologist and then a whole bunch of like extra people the midwife called for a step stool she was standing on the step stool her arm or her her hand was on the top of my belly like at my rib cage pushing downward from the top of the belly while using her body weight While the OB's arm was in my belly inside, trying to grab my baby from his head and and pull him out because he still wasn't coming down. And he finally comes out. It, It really wasn't that long. He screamed immediately. Thank goodness. I refused to let Robbie go over to the corner and see him. I needed him to stay with me because... Things aren't just over when your baby comes out for a C-section. Like, you need to get closed back up. I was getting sewn back up. I was, like, listening to a freaking staple gun. So I I just – I still needed him there. I needed to be present. I said, do not leave me. They have my baby. We'll deal with the baby later. I hadn't processed that I had a baby because all of this nonsense is going on. They bring my baby over cheek to cheek. I see him. But there's, like, chaos going on around me. It feels like an eternity until I'm wheeled back to my room. I wave to Julia and her new daughter. We compare birth weight. <laughs> it was it was so cool. We have a really funny picture of me being wheeled past her and us waving at each other. Well, I, I had the C-section, and I had my baby, and it was wonderful. I had my baby in my arms, and it was great, but that was, nobody knew why everything had to happen that way. Even the OB had no idea why my baby wasn't coming down and I wasn't dilating. The theory is that his umbilical cord was wrapped around his arm so that every time a contraction pushed him down, he got pulled back up. And that's why he wasn't able to come down. And that's why his head wasn't forcing my cervix to make any progress past eight centimeters. But at the end of the day, that's the way that it had to happen. There was going to be no other way, no matter how much longer I labored. Like he wasn't, he he just wasn't going to come out the way that I wanted him to, which is totally fine. That's his journey. I feel that I have processed this as much as I could. I don't think that I've had any birth trauma. I think what was really important for us was as soon as we finished the birth, Robbie and I started talking about everything that happened. We talked about our birth with our friends and family. We shared details. We didn't shy away from it. And I think that constantly talking about it helped us both work through it. However, even today, I I feel sad and I mourn for not being able to have the home birth that I wanted because of a couple of reasons. One, I didn't expect. A few days later, after I came home, I felt like I didn't give birth. I felt that I had been robbed of giving birth to my son. I didn't I, I just felt that I didn't give birth to him. He was pulled from me. And if anybody were to have said that to me before I had my son. I would say, oh my gosh, don't be ridiculous. Of course you gave birth to your child, and in in, in addition to giving birth from for, to your child, you were a freaking badass because you went through major abdominal surgery to give birth to your child. Like you did some badass shit to make sure that your baby was out here alive and healthy and thriving, and that's awesome and so admirable. But being the person that did it, I just I felt like that was robbed from me, and. I mourn not being able to have the unmedicated home birth experience because I was so sleep deprived and so full of drugs that I couldn't really be present with him. When he came out, I, I didn't have the overwhelming, Oh my God, I just gave birth to a baby. There's a baby here. This baby is made of me. Uh, The love hormones, just all of the things that were supposed to rush my body and immediately make this bonding experience, um, weren't there, including like breastfeeding was quite the journey because my milk wasn't coming in either. So those are just the two things that I, I don't struggle with, but I miss. And I, I'm kind of sad that I didn't get to experience. However, I have my son. It's been a journey from my very first time getting pregnant to now having just put my son to bed. And I am so happy to have him. I was so worried that I wouldn't bond with him that I, I didn't know if I would be a good mom. I didn't know if I would be resentful of him for changing my life. I didn't know if he would like me, but It's just all so wonderful and incredible and beautiful and so, so sweet. And I'm thriving in my MILF era. I'm so efficient again. I can move around. I can get my baby dressed up. I have this cute little buddy that I can take with me everywhere I go. And I can just kiss him and cuddle him whenever I want. And it's absolutely incredible. I leave you with that. I don't really know how to end this. I hope that if you are going through, might go through, have gone through a miscarriage that you feel seen, you feel comforted, you feel less alone. I hope that you feel less ashamed if that's something that you were struggling with. I hope that anybody listening to this who might have to deal with a miscarriage in the future knows that it's not your fault, that this happens so often and that doesn't take away the heartbreak, but hopefully it takes away some of this unnecessary shame that we have been trained to feel. I hope that if you're headed into a birth of any kind or a pregnancy that, um, while my, my labor was four days and a lot of shit happened, I hope that I've been able to convey appropriately that, It was still fun and enjoyable and manageable and an incredible initiation experience from maidenhood to, to motherhood. And it's a very empowering experience to go through and you can absolutely do it. And if anybody is wanting to have a home birth or considering or even just like, home birth curious that I had a beautiful experience with my home birth while I was well with my home labor while I was doing it I completely want to do it again and try for a home birth next time and I it was just nothing nothing beats being able to hug your dogs eat and be in your own bed and clothes when you're laboring Thank you for listening and spending this time with me. Thank you for allowing me to continue the work of trying to process my miscarriage. Thank you for just letting me share all of my experiences. I hope that some of this resonated with some of you. I hope you guys have the best day ever. I hope that whatever you're doing, you feel filled and that you have a good, beautiful, wonderful, delightful day rest of your day or evening. Miss Dean loves you, same time next week.